So, you know, once in a while, Ari, you know, as a lawyer, you deal with uh, an opposing counsel, opposing party, but mostly the opposing counsel, right, where you hear them talk so tough and how they are going to destroy you and horrible things are going to befall your client. Uh, and uh, you'll see. You'll just see. And, you know, I'm 30 years in the game now, and I got to tell you that unless I hear from somebody, the opposing counsel, telling me specifically what our problem is, like, okay, you know, Barack, uh, you haven't, uh, I'm just, this hasn't happened, by the way. What are you going to do about your big statute of limitations problem? You know, don't you think that's a big honking mutz ball that you have to deal with? And uh, that's going to be a problem. So we're going to demur. Why don't you just settle out here and just, you know, or drop the case or whatever it might be. Uh, but if they don't have specifics and they just claim they're going to do something really horrific to us and they've got something great up their sleeve, um, then I really, more often than not, just assume that there's nothing there. Now, um, the, recently, and I just want to tell you this, this one particular case. So opposing counsel in this one case that I had, uh, called up and said, hey, you know, I want to see what we can do about settling. And he kind of did this bait and switch with me where, and I said, okay, that sounds reasonable. I'm always happy to talk about settlement and how much you can pay my client. And uh, he said, um, how about this amount? Basically a, a huge amount. <laughs> like, and I said, that's absurd because you actually, he wanted us to pay his client. And I said, well, okay, now I see where you're going on this. With it. That's nonsense. Let's not even bother talking anymore. And it was, you know, one of those unnerving, unpleasant calls. Nevertheless, I told him, look, I, I don't buy it. I'm going, all right, you'll see. Like, he, like he, had, he knew something in his head. It was all a game for him. And, um, I, but, you know, it still bothered me a little bit. Then we took him, there was a stage one in this case, and we took him to arbitration, and we won. And the arbitrator awarded us a decent chunk of change. I mean, actually, a very nice chunk of change. And uh, so I got a call from this guy after that. And he said, okay, well, we're willing to abide by the arbitrator's decision, except that you pay us that amount, not us pay you that amount. And I said, okay, another clown move. But I thought, again, he was very smug and he was very confident, and, uh, which is interesting because confidence does have an impact um, and I thought about it, but I, of course, said no to him, and it was, it was nonsensical. Uh, but I thought, all the while, I thought, there's something up his sleeve that I am just not seeing. And I kept on saying, what do you have? But he says, no, we'll, we'll play this, we'll, we'll play it out, Barack, you'll see. That sort of thing. Okay. Then the moment of truth sort of came in the, the, the follow-up lawsuit. Um, he sent out discovery. Now, for those of you who are not lawyers or not familiar with it, discovery is, uh, you, generally speaking, written requests to uh, find out information about your case or your defense, as the case may be. You know, show me all documents supporting your claim in paragraph four of your complaint that uh, there was a breach of the contract, for example. Okay, that's classic discovery question. Show, uh, identify all the witnesses who know about this. T identify all the facts that support this. Um, and then there's requests for admissions. Admit that you failed to pay. Okay. This guy sends out discovery to us that was so childish 
and requested such ridiculous, obviously non, uh, non-appropriate things, that he revealed himself to me. I, at, at that point, it, the, the bubble had burst. It went poof and realized I'm dealing with an idiot. Really. All that bravado, all that so-called confidence, that showmanship and that like a snarky tone to me, I suddenly realized this guy's an idiot. <laughs> and, and it all changed. The whole game changed. And uh, we were able to go forcefully, and we did take it to the final step, and we won. In fact, we, we, we settled in the middle of the arbitration because the guy, the arbitrator, looked at him like he was an idiot and uh, said, you got, you've got to settle this thing. So we did settle uh, for such a ridiculously low amount. Um, it was wonderful for us. Uh, we got a total victory on this. So... Uh, and later on, I saw his client just yelling at his that that very same attorney because his client must have spent I don't know one hundred fifty thousand dollars to get nothing. I mean, it was really extraordinary. So I, I loved it. It was a, a nice comeuppance, but at the same time, it was his idiocy wasted so much time. Any other lawyer, any reasonable lawyer, would have said, "All right, you know, what can we do to resolve this?" and 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 just get it done, right? You know, you don't have to go to court on everything. In fact, you shouldn't have to go to court. But it was really remarkable to see this games, gamesmanship. So, look, this is the way it is with, you know, people reveal information. I say this all the time. And in the same way that you and I already talk about, you know, wondering whether there's a God out there, right? Whether God exists. You know, if you look around, you'll figure out that there's a God, right? You, the, the amazing complexity of life, the amazing, uh, the fact that the sun is always there and, uh, you know, it's perfect timing and, and uh, the axis of the earth and that we spin in a, in a, you know, virtually exact circular orbit versus elliptical. I mean, there's so many things we've talked about in the past. You can take, you, you observe certain things around you and you can figure them out. Now, going back to people, people project information all the time, all the time. And you just have to be savvy for it. So look, women, women know this better than men, generally speaking. A, a woman will, will go on a date, for example, with a man, and she will be able to size him up pretty quickly based upon a few things. You know, how does he stand? Does he have good posture, right? Um, how does he treat the waiter at a restaurant if they go to a restaurant? Um, does he wear a decent watch? Does he wear a nice shirt? Uh, what about his shoes? You're right. So, I mean, watch, shirt, shoes is the classic line that you hear from a lot of women. A lot of women, um, you know, when they were trying to figure out quickly whether a guy is of any substance. Likewise, if he drives a beat-up old VW car from 1992, okay, you, you know, that says something about him, right? Anyway, that, that's the obvious, but at the same time, there's, there are little things, you know, that you can really pick up on. And generally speaking, for example, when, when you ask people, uh, people a question and they don't answer the question, they divert to go somewhere else, that also tells you something. If they, they don't look at you while they speak, that tells you something. Tremendous amount of information is being revealed. You just have to pick up on it. And, and so it is, right? Um, you know, like I, I, my car now has, has had an accident, uh, not, nothing serious, of course, but, you know, they, the passenger side 
uh, sorry, the uh, the driver's passenger. Ah, what is it? The driver's re- uh, rear view mirror, side view mirror, uh, got clipped, and it's broken now. And it looks all you know. And I'm I'm racing to fix this, and the, the auto body shop keeps on saying delaying and everything. And I want it not because I've got something huge to deal with or I have trouble seeing on that. I don't. The reason why is that I know I'm sending a signal. If I don't repair my car, I'm, I'm sending a signal that I don't have my life together, that uh, I'm, I'm too poor to take care of my own car. That's sort or of too thing. negligent or a chump ne- yeah. or Right, a whatever slug. it is. Yeah. yeah. If you, if, when, whenever I go into somebody's car, if it's, it doesn't have to be you know, immaculate, but if it's messy... And I'm not talking about Cheerios on the seat because that happens a lot with parents, right? Not in my car. <laughs> the point is that if it's, if it's really, really messy, it reveals something about them, right? You, you just don't realize how much information you're revealing one way or the other. So the bottom line is, uh, you know, take advantage of this information. Find, you know, dress well, stand up straight, polish your shoes, right, um, and comb your hair and, uh, you know, don't dress schlubbly, generally speaking. And also speak with, with clarity and confidence. Okay, these are, you know, again, you reveal information. Um, and I, I find this to be more and more powerful as I live on the planet. Right now, I'm 56 years old. And I'm enjoying learning 26. about this. Uh, thank you. for 26. There you go. Yeah, sorry. 26. Plus 30. Anyway, <clears throat> and I use this in my pref- profession. By way, all the time, I, when people, like I just gave you an example of this, uh, when I see an attorney running into court and his tie is loose, it's clear that he, you know, tied his tie the last second, you know, because he was late or whatever it was. And it happens more than once. That tells me everything I need to know. I know that this guy is going to lose this case. You, you guys, I, I mean, and women, you don't realize how much information you are revealing. And how easy it is to pick up information about this. Anyway, um, that's that's enough about that. It's just it's powerful information, and, and, and it happened yesterday in this other case that, that I was just telling you about, and it was a moment of great clarity for me. So tell us about how one of the great parties of American politics has been <laughs> revealing yes, stuff to yes. us. <laughs> and now you, you are going exactly where I wanted to go. <laughs> That's why. You are correct, sir. That's why I'm here. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. It, it was uh, Johnny Carson's sidekick. What was his name? Uh, Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're my Ed McMahon. Right. I figured um, that was that kind of moment. <laughs> you, are ah! correct, <laughs> you are correct, sir. You're a genius. <laughs> All right. Please don't fire me. <laughs> that was a Saturday Night Live skit, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, that's what it was. Yeah, you are correct, sir. <laughs> you are correct, sir. Yeah, Phil All Hartman right. was playing Ed, and David oh, Harvey was so playing funny. Johnny. That was hysterical. <laughs> Weird, wild, wacky stuff. All right. <laughs> so here we go. So, so the Democrats, yes, exactly right. So, look, there is no substance going on that I'm seeing, and and we're scratching our heads, thinking the same thing that I just mentioned. To you, like, okay, well, there's this. Uh, here comes uh, Joe Biden, and uh, he's got he's got yeah. something to say. Yeah. Uh, and here comes Bernie Sanders with his great socialist program, and it's going to work. You'll you'll see. And this is going to be a real disaster for Trump. We're going to win. And same thing with Bloomberg. Same thing with uh, you know Elizabeth Warren, and so on. And and the truth of the matter is, there's no substance there. There's nothing there. They cannot 
I mean, how are you going to deal with this economy that is so good? How are you going to deal with that? To say nothing of the international yeah. Other than arena destroying and destroying it. Wait, no, you know? no, I, yeah. I understand. No, but I'm, I'm talking about if you view the election, oh, with their messaging, you mean? Right? Hang, yeah, yeah, hang on. If you view the election as a trial, right? I mean, the jury is you and me. I mean, we're we're all going to be voting, right? So, we're the jury. Think of it that way. Do you like that? So, um, if if I were a, a plaintiff and a defendant. And we know if, if the Democrats were the plaintiff and they, they were complaining about Donald Trump, right? And Trump is the defendant and they're going to make their case before the jury of their peers. Uh, then <clears throat> I would say, as, as uh, Donald Trump's lawyers, uh, to the lawyers for the, for the plaintiffs, whoever they might be, I don't know that you're going to win this one, dude. I mean, seriously, we got to... You might want to just settle. Yeah, you might want to settle. <laughs> you might want to just, you know, sit it all out at this point. I mean, look, that, that's the difference, right? You can't... I mean, there's going to be an election. That, so somebody's going to run against Donald Trump. But putting that aside for a second, because no analogy is perfect, the point is, don't think for a moment that you're going to win this. I, I, you know, I don't expect you to give up. I get it. But from a standpoint of convincing your your neighbors and your liberal other friends and such like that. Like you can't, you can't give me all this bravado and expect me to believe it. So I, I think you've got real problems on this. Um, and give me facts to show that somehow Donald Trump is, should be convicted, so to speak, that he should lose this trial. I don't think they have it. Um, they, they try to present these crappy investigations, which are like the crappy discovery I just talked to you about, right? The, the Russian collusion thing, the impeachment disaster, the Stormy Daniels disaster. I mean, uh, there, there's so many other things that were disasters. Yeah, isn't it interesting? And, and the FISA warrants and everything yeah, else. Yeah, isn't it interesting that we're all constantly told how Obama's administration was scandal-free? Yes. But it was substantive scandal after substantive scandal. Yes. Ending and culminating with spying on Trump, yeah. which is the worst scandal in American history. It makes... It doesn't make Watergate look like nothing because Watergate was nothing. Right. It makes it so bad. It made the IRS thing look like nothing. Yeah. It was so bad. It made Fast and Furious and Benghazi look like nothing. That's how bad it was. Meanwhile, with Trump, scandal after scandal are nothing, and yeah. we're told how huge they are. You right. know, I mean, it's it, they, it, they lowered the bar dramatically right. on what was a scandal. Um, I'm sorry, what was proper, and. Uh, you're you're 100% right. When they talk about Obama's scandals, you know, they're right about one thing. There weren't any sexual scandals. Fine. Um, you know, although you could argue that there was, uh, you know, some sort of hint of, of one with Obama and a gay scandal, but that's another thing altogether. Uh, we, we don't care about that. The point is that there was uh, none of these the hush money for purposes of sexuality. Uh, I get that, but that that would be nothing. I mean, I would be, I'd welcome that compared to what happened with Benghazi, compared to what happened with the IRS scandal, compared to the Fast and Furious, compared to the uh, tax, uh, tax thing that we just talked about, the FISA warrant and everything else. Th th those are huge issues. Uh, to say, and again, to say nothing of Hillary Clinton and her emails. Yeah, oh, and I forgot the Iran uh, deal scandal. Oh, whoops, yeah, yes, I mean, of course. God, there's so, the, so many, I can't even remember them. so all. many. So, you know, we are going to present... Uh, the, what evidence will, will we present? This will be a case uh, about capitalism versus socialism, which is something that, that Dennis Prager always wants to make the case, and, and he's right. He doesn't necessarily call it 
uh, socialism, but he would say, look, we're, we're fighting against leftism, and that, that's fine. I don't care. Um, Romney and McCain, um, and to, to a lesser extent Bush, would talk about, you know, John Kerry would talk about Obama, you know, in both cases uh, for McCain and Romney. Um, and his policies wouldn't work, and he didn't do this right, and he didn't do that right. Yeah, uh, but he's a nice guy, and he's my friend. <laughs> right. I would but, just but, do better. But, but, you know, although I never liked George H.W. Bush, I mean, I certainly preferred him over Dukakis, he got, he got one thing right during the campaign. He referred to Michael Dukakis as the L word, the liberal, right? And he correctly portrayed the issue as uh, conservatism versus liberalism. And he was spot on and he slaughtered Dukakis as a result of it. Yeah, uh, if only and, he governed that way. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Good point. With Justice Souter, anyone, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was a disaster. He was not a tough guy. But the point is, you know, he correctly campaigned. And the great news is that Donald Trump knows that this is the way to, to, to push it. Not about, I mean, he makes fun of uh, Pocahontas. He makes fun of, uh, you know, Crazy Joe and all those things. And he has the appellations, all of that. But at the end of the day, when it comes to fighting uh, the ultimate nominee, whether that's Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden, whoever, he's going to say, you want that crap? Okay, they're, they're all about a socialist agenda. Yeah, they're, uh, And it doesn't work, my friends. This is a fight between uh, a free market enterprise and, and communism. Yeah, if you will, it's a battle between good and evil. And he phrases yeah. it as either, we, I love how he says it in his State of the Union speeches over and over again. We will never be a socialist country. Yep. And we will never go back to pre-Trumpism. We, we made America great. We were making America great again. We made America great. You're going to keep America great. It's like, you know, beginning, middle, end of right. arguments. And he we closes have, the We have deal shown you it. the way. And, and the beauty of, of Trump, I'm trying to capture it, and I think I finally figured it out, a great way of, of putting it. How, how to say it? How should I say it? It's, it's the difference between... Okay, yeah, I was watching a movie recently that kind of focused on this. So it's a difference between a propeller airplane and thinking that that's the way to fight in war and jets, jet fighters. Yeah. That's what Rockets. it is. Right. right. Yeah. So Donald Trump is the jet fighter. Like, oh, we can, there's a whole new way of flying that we never thought about before. And that's Trump. Before, everyone was flying in twin engine propeller jets and they thought okay we'll move from point a to point b doing this and that and, and everything was moving very slowly things you know everything had to go through committee and and it, it would take years and people would pay lip service to certain ideals and uh you know we'll always uh we support israel's right to exist and expect a, a you know huge applause from the crowd like yes. really to exist thank you no we want you know action that is consistent with supporting israel and I bring up Israel not just because I'm so pro-Israel, which I am, uh, but it's so emblematic of what Trump has done on every level, not just Israel. But Israel is great because he talks not just about you know understanding that Israel's an ally and we support her and giving a little bit of money here and there to show that we support her. It's, it's more than that. He moved the, the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. You do not know how how significant a move that was, both in the sense of we are going to do what's right 
and also sticking it to the Arabs who are hostile to Israel. Uh, and, and then third, to be able to say, I'll take that, that challenge on, that risk that there will be riots in yeah, the street. I'll, I'll see how angry, how much more angry your little street can get. Because I, he said the thing I've been saying for years. How do you get that Arab street any more angry than it's already been? Right, yeah. There's this They're already angry. Right. Okay, so that's an angrier. Yeah. So, that's an, so, so Trump showed the way yeah. in that one score. Like, oh, wait, we can, we can do that? You mean we can take action? That's okay? That, that's what he showed. And then uh, same thing with the economy, right? He, he just started massively cutting all these regulations, like uh, cutting the Gordian knot, that literally the Gordian knot, because the regulations in America were so onerous and so bizarre and so self-contrary, uh, self-contradicting, then he just started cutting them. And it was a beautiful way of, of about going business. You know, there's that old movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Well, I think Trump is Mr. Smith. Yeah. He just changed things. He was the ordinary guy that realized that this is a bunch of garbage. He was the ordinary billionaire next door. <laughs> that's right? right. Yes. You know, yeah. you have so many of them. <laughs> Literally, that's true. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so he came in there and he showed, like, like the jet fighter, you can go a lot faster. You can be a lot more powerful, more efficient. That's what he showed. And I think... Ari, I'm not hearing this from any other commentator, but this is so important what I'm about to say. People are going to these Trump rallies, not just because they've identified now as Republican and they don't like the Democrats and they, they, they want to vote for him because, you know, it's kind of cool because um, now they want to see that he wins and he, they want to show that they're going to support him. It's more than that. It's that they want to show their appreciation to him directly. Yeah. They want to, to say thank you. To we say love thank you. you. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. And this is, and, and, and the, uh, the Democrats, of course, will call this the cult of the deity and uh, stuff no, like that, which is, which is exactly yeah. right. They, they see him as a human being, and they see him as an exceptional human being. He's no different than Stephen Jobs, right? I mean, think about that. And, and we're going to have a whole podcast. On this issue, Donald Trump is Stephen Jobs. Of That's politics, kind of, yes. It's, as far it's, as a great innovator. It's a perfect parallel, yeah. and, and you'll see next week. But nevertheless, uh, you know, people don't think, never thought that Stephen Jobs was God. They just, they admired him. They thought, okay, let's see what you, what the great master has to do. It, it, no different than when Leonardo da Vinci had a new uh, masterpiece right. or a when, new invention. When, it's, it's great. Let, yeah. Let's, let's celebrate his coolness. I want to see what, what comes out of Leonardo da Vinci. He's not a god. That's not a cult of deity. Um, and Trump is no, not that either. He doesn't profess to be. On the contrary, he, he, he demotes himself, of course, below, way below God, as opposed to one Barack Obama. Right. I mean, He's it's, the it's, first guy to go into American politics in a generation and leave poorer than when he got there. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay? Yeah. Uh, talk about yeah. a guy who's sacrificing for us. Yeah. And there was a great saying, uh, uh, there was some meme that went along, which is, the reason they're so angry is because they're not coming for me. They're coming for you. Uh, and I'm standing so between you and them. Yeah. Was Trump. And, and that's true. We want to say thank you for taking on the deep state, for exposing their injustice, for exposing their corruption of our system, for right. destroying our justice system, right. for bifurcating it, for we, being willing to take that courageous hit that no other billionaire in the country would be willing to take. That's true. 
or anybody would be yeah. a billionaire or not. Uh, we no, know, but especially billionaires who have it good. You know, we know that had Hillary Clinton won the election, that they would have propped themselves up, and the glory of the Democrat Party, and they, you know, it, it would be all propped all the way, uh, not in the full communist way, but eventually it was getting, it would be getting there for sure, yeah. uh, and. They, everything they do would be cleansed and not only cleansed, but made to look pure and wonderful and with great intentions. They would polish that turd to the point that it looked like a diamond. And that is what would be so disgusting for all of us. I just I could not tolerate that. The country did not tolerate that at the end of the day. And let's face it, despite winning you know, a, a comfortable majority in the Electoral College, uh, from a popularity point of view, and I uh, sorry, from a popular vote, uh, he lost, and he was otherwise close in many of the, the battleground states that he won. You know, t- ten thousand here, five thousand there. So, but but that was back then, and twenty twenty is going to be a lot better. Yeah, and that's remember with a lot of people like me at the time, not convinced because in twenty sixteen, all that we had to go on was rhetoric. Right now, we have four years of incredible action. Three years, but you're right. Yeah, but, but you're right. Up. Yeah, you're, you're totally right about that. And by the way, you and I were exactly the same. November, right? You and I are exactly the same in terms of how we felt about Trump. Um, it, you know, the only difference between you and me is that I actually voted for Trump. You, you chose to sit that one out, uh, and that's fine. But both of us had the same trepidation. Like, who is this guy? Is he going to be? He's going to run like a Democrat? Is he going to try to just embolden himself? Yeah, we had just got Schwarzenegger. You know, is yeah, is he going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. but on the national level? And uh, we found out that, I mean, completely the opposite of that. He is so conservative, more conservative than Ronald Reagan, more conservative than any other president. And now, I mean, could you believe Ari? If if you know, because we had our podcast back then too, and. Uh, with Ted Cruz being in the fray and tech, you know, Donald Trump, we're concerned about Donald Trump. I mean, we can play those all back. But can you believe if, if one of us came back and sat with us in that podcast and say, guys, not only are you going to be much more pro-Trump, but you're going to be saying that he may very well be the best president that ever lived uh, in, uh, that ever presided in American history. Uh, what do you think about that? And we'd say, of course, well, we'd be happy to hear that, but I'd be relieved. You know, yeah. We'd be very relieved, yeah. but I, I, you know, I wonder how to get from point A to point B. And then we would say, "Don't worry, you'll see. He'll do it very effectively." Yeah, and, and to exactly your credit, the way, exactly the way that you yeah. think it's going to be. And to your credit, as we were approaching that, you said, "I think it's going to be this way." And it's funny, on election day in the ballot booth I had and I've said this before I had the luxury of being in California where if I'm wrong about this there ain't no consequence anyway on this particular day right so it gave me a luxury to be wrong but I was on the phone with a friend in the hours or really around the moments before the uh, the great coverage on CNN and MSNBC, the cryothons were unfolding. <laughs> and we're on a phone with a friend who, like me, is conservative and suffering through the post-dramatic stress disorder or whatever that Schwarzenegger <laughs> put us through, the PTSD. Right. And we're on the phone going, well, what do we really want to have happen here? I said, Carl, okay, let's, you're Catholic, I'm Jewish, let's do the Shema prayer and a Catholic prayer. We did these prayers and then I said to him after we did those prayers, I think it's going to be best if uh, our boy Trump wins because 
I well, let's put it this way. I know if Hillary wins, we're screwed. Right. And I think that in the final analysis here, if Trump wins, it's at least a question mark. Maybe good, maybe yeah. Schwarzenegger. If Hillary wins, we know it's Hillary. Right. Let's pray for Trump. <laughs> exactly. Can we right. say the prayer. Ten minutes later, we hung up the phone. Ten minutes later, boom, those results came out. My phone rings. It's Carl going, oh, my God, they're crying. This is great. I was and, so and, excited. And, and was... I, think, I think going full circle right, to your right. initial point about how much they reveal right. the schlubby shoes, the, the dirty shoes, the schlubby shirt, the bad posture, the Democrats revealed everything to us with that reaction that night. Yeah. And especially Hillary Clinton's reaction not to even show up and give a speech and try to calm down the hysteria. That her supporters yeah, were going she, through. She was that revealed everything totally that we were right about Trump. Totally in a panic. Uh, it revealed everything. You're right. But, but if he, he was a Schwarzenegger, they would have been going, Aah! But remember, you know, look, my dad said, and he was so right, that you can know everything about a man by the way he comports himself uh, under stress and pressure. You really can. So... When the Democrats are under the gun, whether that's you know, losing an election like they did to Donald Trump or uh, having lost the impeachment or dealing with a State of the Union address that is so good and they, and they rip up the thing. I mean, yeah. you know, that, those are the things where you can really judge a party. Yeah, or Ann Coulter shows up on your campus. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> you exactly right. Minds. And you lose your mind. So that's very revealing. So to them, the fact, the very presence of a conservative is going is caused to, to make you lose your you-know-what? Really? You can't withstand that? That is revealing, isn't it? And that goes back to our original comment <clears throat> about how people project information all the time, and it has an impact on the voter. And, and going back to what Nancy Pelosi did with ripping up the, her copy of the State of the Union address, that was tremendously revealing. We now have a tremendous number of Democrats. There's a whole montage of, of them saying, that moment changed me, and it changed my whole family. We ain't voting Democrat ever again. And they may still be registered Democrats, by the way. Um, and they'll eventually get there. Registrations aren't votes, by the way. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So uh, that is uh, very telling and very powerful. So, but but it's not a surprise to you and me because uh, because we bring this up all, yeah, all the time. We've seen their degradation of character going back decades. Yes, and these, that was that was expected. Right, it's expected. So we know with every little tantrum, they are changing. Uh, you know, it's it's what is it like a. Uh, every time there's a, a such and such, whatever it is, he every gets his wings. A bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Right, yes, yeah, so exactly. Yeah. So every time, every time the Democrats do, do something nutty like this, you know, they're, they're converting yet another uh, liberal to a conservative. Every time That's what's a happening. Democrat tantrum screams, another Republican something, something. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's born. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's, ex that's what's happening. But, but, it never goes the opposite direction. Look, think about it this way: when Nancy <clears throat> Pelosi tore up that copy of her of the speech, do you think that there was a single conservative that said, "You know what? I'm going to vote 
for Democrats now. Yeah, boy. <laughs> oh, right. my God. She's so strong, she tore paper with her bare hands. <laughs> bare hands. My God. Without any help. The, 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 the titanium spine of that woman. <laughs> That's right. Oh, Never, never wow. mind that they were pre-ripped a little bit before. We now yeah. know that, right? And never mind that she did. If you watch the video, the funniest part to me is Trump is looking this way, out at the audience. Right. Away from her. Right. And she's doing this, like, right in front. She's not tearing it up to his face when he's looking at her. She's She's doing it behind his back. A lot of courage, yeah. You know, like Iago stabbing, you know, Othello in the back. That was metaphorical, not a literal scene. But but, you like what I said? I mean, every time they do some tantrum like this, a a new conservative is born. Right. And it's not just one, of course. It's, you know, tens of thousands. Tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. And so. Anyway, everything will be revealed at trial, so to speak. The November 3rd trial. That's what it is. And I, I love that because everything will show up. It's like that one moment of clarity where you see what people are actually thinking. And this is the way it is, by the way. I mean, maybe the analogy is it's getting close to perfect at this point because when you're in trial, every lawyer knows that you cannot read the jury. You can see once in a while they're taking notes. Um, they're, you know, maybe bored or something like that. But that's about the most that they will give. You can't ask the jury, hey, how am I doing so far? Where are you leaning so far? Right? Are you you're thinking that I'm, my client's good or do you think his client's good? Yeah, it's not like Applebee's. <laughs> Let us know where we can be better. Exactly <laughs> right. right. You tell us now. <laughs> how can we serve you? <laughs> I mean, if, if only, right? Right. But it's not that way. <laughs> Fill so, out this brief survey for a discount at your next visit. So you have to you know, try to imagine what the jury's thinking and then address the questions that you think that they are concerned about. And a lot of times, you know, you go, then the, the, the verdict is in, right? So they reveal what they were thinking. Yeah, he's guilty. Yeah, he's liable or not liable and so on. And sometimes you get the opportunity to talk to the jurors after. In fact, you almost always have the opportunity if you get a chance because you want to learn what was effective, what was not effective. So I remember one of our last trials, uh, we po- it's called polling the jury. So we met with a jury, and they all kind of circled around us. And, I, you know, we won that case. It was very nice. And I said, what do you think was effective? And what would, you know, all that stuff. And it was, they were very flattering. It was nice. They said some really nice compliments about our, uh, our, our, ga- our, our case, and specifically my opening statement. I always like to have really short opening statements. You know, you got to be bold. And you say, I mean, in that case, we were on the defense. And I said, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you'll see that this case is, is about uh, just greed. They, this, uh, this man wants a, a total partnership interest in my client's uh, business. He has no evidence to that effect, no confirmation by email, no letter, no passenger pigeon. <laughs> Nothing has ever revealed that for 20 years. Thank you. That was my opening statement. I just said that, I think, in about 20 seconds. And the jury said to me after, that was when we decided that you were right and they were wrong. The rest of it was just fluff. So I learned from that, not to just you know, pat myself on the back about this. I learned from that moment that uh, to make short opening statements, right? And so that's the way it's going to be with this election coming up November 3rd. It's going to be so overwhelmingly revealing to the Democrats. 
Yeah, like look at Elizabeth Warren emblematically of this problem. Yeah. I have a plan about, or I love this. Tomorrow I'm going to reveal my plan <laughs> that describes the plan I have about my plan. <laughs> and it's an extensive plan with 465 points. Each one has other parts of a plan, and each one's planned out. <laughs> so right. please plan to hear my plan. First, right? of, first of all, my wife, I love her so much. She, she um, <laughs> talks about Elizabeth Warren and tries to imitate her the same way. And, and by the way, my wife is no screaming conservative. She's not in, in any stretch a conservative, a uh, liberal rather. But, you know, she sometimes would be on the fence and all that. I think she's leaning more and more conservative because she sees what's going on. She's like a classic you know, middle of the roader. And but Elizabeth Warren, she she was really bothered by her. She finds her to be a phony and such, and she doesn't like her voice. Just so she tried to imitate her the same way you did. And Ari, I must say, your imitation is far better than my wife's imitation. Well, I have a lot of experience, (laughs) you know, teaching those classes at Harvard, and you know, it's it's part of my family history. I grew up in a teepee on the plains, you know. We hunted buffalo when I was a kid. I was hunted. I don't know who do you compare you to. Okay, Johnny Carson. But I don't know what, what the deal is with you. So, but it's funny. My wife simply says, like, she's, she, she sounds like she's suffering from an asthma attack all the time. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, what do, you, what do you want from me? And we have to deal with this, you know, for the next four years at least? No, thank you. So, but anyway, going back to the plan concept that you're talking about, because that's a good point. You really think that people are going to go into the voting booth, well, I like that Elizabeth Warren because she's got a plan. You know, I don't know what the details are, but it's a plan. Yeah, I'm going to vote know. for her so I can hear more about that plan. Right, yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's vote for the Obamacare so we can read what's in it. You know, that sort of motive. Like, how about this? How about just sticking with what we have, which is working fantastically well, which already has revealed its plan, which is no BS, and cut those stupid regulations and uh, allow the market to thrive. How about that? that for a plan, right? But, but this is, you know, I, I don't want to side derail too much, but this is emblematic of how the Democrats think. They think that a true leader is somebody that will impose all these fantastic, you know, it, will somehow control the economy in just the perfect way and know exactly what needs to be done and remedied. Uh, in this industry versus that industry, you know, hence Solyndra, for example, and many other, you know, industries that they'll start favoring one way or the other because that's what a president does. He, he controls the economy and he, he starts manipulating. He's like Ganesh with, with all the arms and, and uh, everything right. else controlling the, right. everything. Trump made a phone call. He's abusing power. <laughs> Obama, oh, please control every aspect control of our lives. Control every aspect, right. Yeah. And, and that's what Obamacare was all about, right? Uh, this in- incredibly detailed a ridiculous plan that, of course, ultimately failed, and not even, I mean, very quickly failed for that matter. And and here comes Elizabeth Warren with, with the detailed plan that you're talking about. And first of all, it's you boring. Know, it's boring. No one's going to read it. Yeah. Um, and if you think that, the, but that's how they think. They think that a good leader is somebody who has these huge agenda items and that they're going to move things around with their own hands, so to speak. It must be exhausting when you think about it. And that's why, you know, the, the well, like that jury, you, that jury was not exhausted after they heard you. When I hear Elizabeth Warren speak, I get physically exhausted in ten seconds. Oh yeah, I but, mean it's exhausting hearing. By the, by the way, the opposing counsel uh, in that case, he 
he went first because he was a plaintiff. Plaintiffs, you know, will go first on their opening statement. And he went on for 35 minutes. As he had, by the way, as he had estimated for the judge. And I remember when we were uh, in, in chambers with a judge, he wanted to kind of plan out timing for the day. And he said, how long is uh, your opening statement? Uh, we'll call him Mr. Smith. And uh, Smith said, uh, between 30 and 40 minutes. Um, and the judge kind of you know, raised an eyebrow and goes, okay. Um, and how about you, Mr. Lurie? And I said, three to four minutes, if that. And he goes, okay. And um, so sure enough, the guy, at least he was correct within his estimate. It was about, it was 35 minutes. Yeah, I think you did yours about 18 seconds. Yeah, it was 18 seconds or yeah. so. And um, he went on and on and on for his opening statement. And there were a lot of, by the ways, and did you know that this thing, and, but that's not important right now, <laughs> statements, right? I mean, it, it, it was, <laughs> and parenthetically, <laughs> all these, I mean, 35 minutes of this, and, the, the jur- and I watched the jury, and they were so bored out of their minds. I mean, you really focus on the jury, because you're, you're just hearing, opening statement means nothing. Yeah. Unless it means something, right? right. You have to make it impactful. So 18 seconds, I, went, I looked directly in the eyes, I saved them time. I said what the case they was about. They were ready to decide. And they were ready the to decide right, right then. It was, it was incredible. Can we go home now? But, I, but again, it's not to tout my, my bona fides. It's simply to, to talk about what works. Right. I, look, I, I have my radio show on Sundays. I do my, my Sunday show the way I do it. It's very unique. Why? Because I want to do a show that I would want to hear. Yeah, and don't worry, everyone. I'm not there. It's cool. It's you a, can go there. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's going to be a lot easier. <laughs> you might actually enjoy yeah. hearing me it won't with that, Ari. It's not exhausting like Elizabeth Warren's speech. It's fun. Exactly. You'll like it. Yeah, you'll like it. I highly recommend it. Anyway, so, but the point is, I, I did this, and, and not to talk about my Sunday shows per se. The point is, I do what I think would work, right? So I'm learning, learning, learning all the, learning all the, time, all the time. I want to do what's effective. And the country wants what's effective, right? They don't want plans and by the ways and par- parenthetically and <laughs> did you know that you know, little known fact that like 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 Cliff you know he was Cliff Clavin that's what he was right. and he was from Cheers and it, it was anyway it was very telling. The point is that you got to get to the point and Donald Trump gets to the point he and and he delivers the results. There's been no more effective president in the United States history. By the way, now I'm saying by the way. By the right? ways. Right. Yeah. But it's on point. The amount of time that Democrat spends, a Democrat president spends on his agenda is far more than what a Republican president has to do. Why? Uh, and, and I'll get to that in a moment. We know that Calvin Coolidge Basically, just kind of showed up once in a while. He was uh, he wasn't not even he wasn't even nine to five on the presidency. His nickname was Silent Cal. Silent Cal, and he just uh, what he did is just if he did any work, it was to limit the scope of government, get rid of various departments. He was very effective in that, um, and otherwise, kind of just sat back and let America be America. Yeah, make sure we don't get any stupid wars and yeah, you know. But that was that was the way he viewed his job, and I think he was right. Ronald Reagan was the same way. Yeah, FDR. His, was... his main mission, what what Ronald Reagan was able to do, was first of all get out of the way, which doesn't require any massive effort. 
Uh, and that allowed him to focus on what a president should be focusing on, and in his case, the destruction of the Soviet Union, right? That was his main agenda. And by, by, by letting the economy be the economy, and, and it started roaring beautifully, uh, the Soviet Union did collapse at the end of the day because he was able to devote all his attention to that. But the Democrats are so busy being busy, doing everything, thinking that they have to control it because if they don't do it, well, then the economy will collapse. They, they, they never got their economics 101 lesson. No one, no, none of their advisors said to them, Mr. President, you know, you just stand out of the way and good things will happen. It, it said no advisor to any Democrat president ever. Right. right, or they got their economics lesson, but they just didn't like it. They yeah. didn't understand it's not about something how you feel. It just it is. Right, it's like math class. Two plus two does equal four. But what if I feel it's transgender? Uh, sorry, that doesn't exist. You know. I think everyone should major in economics in college. That's what I think. Like uh, Alexandria Snooky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, everyone Snooki should. Cortez. Every well, yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, she didn't. <laughs> I think she took. I mean, it's a Marxist economics class, yeah. you know, that's self-contradicting, of course. But everyone should do it because they'll realize if you take an economics major, you are bound to be a conservative, at least fiscally. You're bound for that because there's the entire time that I did my economics major, um, the one theme you could take from it is the less you interfere with uh, the economy, the better the economy will be. Yeah. And by the way, the economy, I think what you're meaning is the less you interfere with what people do day in, day out, provided they're generally good people, they're generally going to do the right thing. Oh, yeah. They want to go to work to better themselves or, or their own situation in life. But based on how this country is set up, if you better your own station life, the only way to do it is by bettering other people, by well, offering them, right. like you, good legal services and short opening statements. Right. Or, <laughs> That's right. You know, well, it, the, the, the deference should be to letting go, right? Yeah. You should, you should make exceptions to that only in extreme situations where the burden of proof has, has shown that you need to have something like that. For example, uh, te- texting while driving, Okay. Uh, when texting became a thing, uh, you know, starting, what, 10-plus years ago, uh, everyone was texting, and there was no specific law saying you cannot text while you're driving. And, of course, uh, you know, the, the notion was, well, you know, people are texting, and they're driving, and they're getting to bad accidents, and that's, that's a danger to society. So they made a law saying you can't, you know, text. I mean, they could say, they could have said anything more, you know, you cannot drive while distracted whether that's texting or something else, right? Or yeah. reading a magazine, and for example. that's what they did, actually. Yeah, it, and, and that's the best way to approach right. it because, you know, it, reading a, a magazine, which is not texting, while you're driving is, is equally distracting. Yeah, and you can easily puzzle. You can yeah. easily get into a huge uh, accident. So anyway, so they, they stepped in for that particular issue, and fine, that's okay. But uh, the burden of proof had been met, so to speak. There are too many accidents. Yeah, and, and that's but, also- but the assumption is it, by Democrats that if you don't control things, then then horrible things will happen. A- example: minimum wage. Right. The assumption is that if you if you don't have a minimum wage, then those rask- rascally employers will just pay only uh, you know Slave th- thirty cents an hour, yeah. and uh, that's that. Well, and, and never paying attention to the fact that somebody who's is being offered only thirty cents 
uh, you know, for, for an hour is going to say no thank you and, and go to some place that's offering more. It's called competition. Uh, and it's not just competition for goods and services, my friends. It's competition for labor. That's the way it works. You know, when, whenever I hire somebody, I have to factor in that there are a lot of other people that are willing to, to pay this same person who I consider a quality person uh, a lot more than what I'm offering him or her. That's, that's the way it works. And it doesn't dawn on the Democrat mind that that's the way it works. Yeah, and that, that, that dynamic of competition is what is good for everyone. Right. It makes the employee work hard. It makes the, the uh, wage-providing ser- person who needs the service of the employee fork over top dollar to get and retain it right. and, and pay the appropriate bonuses when earned, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking um, they, they just... FDR, in contrast to Reagan, was so bad at interfering everywhere in the economy. Great example. He needed to engage in World War II to get out of it. No, well, I mean, it, it, that's that's the it, wait. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, it, hold on, hold on. Yes, that's the mantra that the Democrats will play time and time again. It's not quite accurate. I understand why no, you I'll said that. I'll make you a broader point that yeah. essentially, you know, the only way out of their economic death spirals is major cataclysms that murder millions of people. Right. You know, because it's that useless and that bad and causes the kind of dislocations that then plunge countries into war with each other. That's, that's where this crap mm-hmm. that they're espousing leads. That's where all of Elizabeth Warren's plans eventually go, unfortunately. Right. It's that despicable. It is despicable, and they do plan all these things, and they all fall apart. And then their answer to the, 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 the falling apart of it, first of all, after blaming the Republicans or conservatives, is to say, well, we need more of these regulations, or we, we need to have tweaks in these regulations. Let's fix it, like Obamacare. Let's fix it, not, not repeal it. You know, da, right. da, da. And, that, well, and, that, and that's what they think is the answer. And, and nobody buys it. No, nobody thinks that universal health care is the answer. They, look, they, everyone wants, they would like to have cheap medical attention. I, that's, that's no doubt about that. Everyone wants that. Everyone wants everything for free or cheap and wants it to be as high quality as possible. Who doesn't? Right. You know, who doesn't? But, but the question is, how do we get there? And, yeah. you know, the, the, the answer to it is, surprise, surprise, free market capitalism. If you simply allowed people to... Uh, get their services by way of the free market. Uh, you know, there, there'll be doctors out there who partner up together that will service uh, poor uh, neighborhoods. They will do it if you let them, just like restaurants, right? Not all restaurants are fancy, expensive places like, the, like in the Montage Hotel, uh, where you're, you're, you can expect a $200 bill for two people. It's right. I mean, that yeah, by definition, it's like McDonald's that. to that. Right. You can get very fast food and everyone gets their food. And yes, we can quibble about the health of the McDonald's food versus another. But the fact is, you're not going to go hungry at the very least. Yeah. Right. And even even if you want the healthy food, surprise, surprise, you can get that cheaply, too. OK. Healthy food is available. And I, I hate it when people say, oh, all they can do is eat McDonald's. No, no, no they can go to the groceries. There's, yeah. Vegetables are cheap, my friend, okay? They're very cheap, and you can get them. And don't give me this crap, okay? I, I'm, I'm a vegan, as you know. I probably pay I a, you tell everyone I probably pay a lot less for my food than most of my friends because I'm, I'm eating vegetables most of the time. So 
you know, wink, wink. That's the real reason why I became vegan. I'm so cheap. It's cheap. <laughs> uh, anyway. No, but it's but interesting. The, but the point is, there's a market for it, right. and, and there's a market for med- medicine and, and, and medical services, and they just. It's because of all the interference that it's spiraled out of control as it is, and then they wonder that they, then they blame the free market economy when it's not the free market economy doing this. Right? How do I have a four hundred dollar iPhone right here with more computing power than any data center from twenty years ago that cost billions of dollars to build? Uh, you know, why would that dynamic be any different? And and as far as that idea of uh, trust us. Our, our plan just hasn't been tried completely. You know, yeah, the arguments they it. make for communism or whatever. Uh, same thing here in L.A. They flood our streets with vagrancy and then tell us, oh, but we'll be the people to solve it with some tweaks and uh, a little bit of tax money. Right, like the arsonist who uh, then tries to take credit for fixing or you know, putting out the fire. Yeah. Uh, and, and to your point, and then I want to wrap it up with this, that the point, even when they go full communist, then... You talk to anybody who is uh, sympathetic to communism, they say, well, communism never worked because it wasn't implemented correctly. Okay, <laughs> to which you say, how would it ever be implemented correctly? You tell me an example of where it could possibly work other than your utopian fantasy. Where has it worked <clears throat> and under what circumstances could it possibly work because it doesn't jibe with human nature whatsoever? That's their big problem. They, human nature is their biggest obstacle, the biggest impediment. They don't know how to deal with it. They want human nature to conform to their ideology, not to have their ideology conform to, their, to human nature. That is the big difference, and that's what my dad said, <clears throat> and he summarized it so beautifully. That is the essence of it, and that's why the Democrats fail, because they cannot deliver anything, because they do not respect human nature. They don't believe in human nature. They don't believe that there's, a, that there's a God for that matter that gives us human nature and free will. And we don't want to be zombies. We don't want to be controlled by our government. We want to, to, to love our families and take care of families. We don't want these changes that, that they're offering that, that go to the very core of who we are as a civilization. And that's why when people see Nancy Pelosi ripping up the State of the Union address and going to tantrums and, going, and, and trying to blockade Ann Coulter and Ben Shapiro and so forth at, at Berkeley and other places like that, that's when a, a new Republican is born. They cannot tolerate that. All right, my friends, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk with you next week.